Hello everyone and welcome to this EMJ podcast. My name is Dr. Hannah Moyer, Senior Medical Writer and Moderator for EMJ. And today I am delighted to be bringing you a series of three conversations on osteoarthritis, redefining the way we consider this chronic condition. This podcast has been sponsored by Viatris. In this first episode, we focus on the burden of osteoarthritis, why it's an important disease and why early stage diagnosis enables a patient to live as disability-free as life as possible. We are joined today by two experts working in the field of osteoarthritis who will offer their expertise and thoughts. Firstly, we have Professor Ali Mubasheri, Professor of Musculoskeletal Biology in the Research Unit of Health Sciences and Technology within the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ulu in Finland and is also Chief Researcher and International Advisor in the State Research Institute Centre for Innovative Medicine in Vilnius, Lithuania. And we also have Dr. Daniel Kenter-White, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Delaware and the Director of the Delaware Activity Lab in the United States. Thank you very much for joining us today. So to start off with, Perhaps we could start with how common is osteoarthritis in terms of its prevalence? Can I go to Ali first? Sure. So osteoarthritis is increasingly common. Um, Let's not forget that the number one risk factor for osteoarthritis is age followed by obesity. And the world is getting older and there are certain countries on this planet where the number of aging people is rapidly advancing. I can think of a few nations, Korea and Japan in particular, where the number of elderly people is significantly increasing. And there are also countries where the birth rate is also reducing significantly. And therefore, the number of elderly people is increasing. And consequently, there's more osteoarthritis within that population. If you wanted me to give you estimates in terms of the Fraction in terms of the percentage, that's a little bit more controversial, depends which area of the world you pick. But I think it's probably safe to say one in five individuals definitely has osteoarthritis. But that is well-established osteoarthritis. And if you think about the early aspects of OA, we're probably not able to capture that. So I'd say the actual incidence is higher than that. Dan, would you like to add anything to that? Sure. Um, I think that everyone knows somebody who has osteoarthritis. Uh, So this is something that is either a parent, a friend, a grandparent, uh, somebody you know, if you don't have it yourself, uh, has osteoarthritis. So in terms of uh, prevalence or how common it is, it's incredibly common. I think the the latest estimates are that 16% of the world (laughs) has osteoarthritis. So, so um, you know, th- this was not something that we're talking about a rare disease, uh, but rather something that, it, that is fairly prevalent uh, in society. I think a, a couple other things to mention, too, about osteoarthritis is it's very common for, um, uh, as you age, uh, for, for the prevalence to increase. So, so older adults, uh, or, or as people get older, they're more likely to have uh, osteoarthritis. Uh, it's a little more common in women than men, and it is uh, fairly common uh, in people who are overweight or obese, more so than those who are not. 
This data comes uh, from the United States uh, from a Framingham study, which was conducted uh, about 25 to 30 years ago. I think the, the latest trends in research looking at uh, osteoarthritis have shown that um, knee pain has become more common uh, over time, which uh, is actually increasing in, in uh, prevalence. Uh, so uh, more people are having knee pain. And uh, an interesting area of research uh, has, uh, has led us to discover that uh, athletes uh, who have knee injuries are more likely to uh, develop uh, osteoarthritis a and at an earlier age. So uh, somebody who has uh, a, an ACL a tear uh, and uh, has a reconstruction, and then they are much more likely to, to develop osteoarthritis uh, later on in life and at an earlier age uh, than what commonly happens. Uh, so, so those are just some of the, the major um, big picture things that I think of when I think of uh, how common, answering the question of how common osteoarthritis is. Thank you. And I think that actually raises an interesting perspective in terms of the wide scale of the burden that this disease can have. Because I think a lot of people, if you're thinking about um, athletes, they always consider being active as a healthy routine. And there's this association with an increased risk to osteoarthritis and knee pain, um, that this just demonstrates how important it is to understand the impact of osteoarthritis as we get older. Um, so what kinds of burdens do we see placed on individuals and society as, as we see this increasing prevalence? I guess the main burden is um, in the workplace and at home. So in the workplace, we are dealing with absenteeism, um, where people are unable to function properly, so they have to take time off because of the pain and the disability associated with osteoarthritis. The other aspect of it is presenteeism, which is basically people do go to work, but again, they're not able to function properly. The same thing happens in the home setting and in the social setting where a person with osteoarthritis is unable to perform um, functions that a person without osteoarthritis would take for granted. And I think that's a very important aspect that has been underestimated and understudied for, for some time. So we need to think about the burden in the workplace, at home, and in, in society as a whole. So reducing that needs to be a high priority for us. And yeah, I agree with, uh, if I can add, uh, with uh, with Ali. Uh, and I think from a, a physical therapist perspective, the reason why, why my profession is so intimately tied with, uh, with this disease is because it is the leading cause of problems with uh, functioning. So getting out of a chair, climbing stairs, compared to all other diseases. And as a physical therapist and somebody who uh, helps people to overcome uh, these sorts of problems. It is the major cause uh, of this, uh, what we call functional uh, limitation. I think in terms of uh, statistics, the World Health Organization has this listed as the 11th most common cause of worldwide burden of any other disease. Uh, so it is a, a leading cause of uh, functional limitation or, or uh, functioning problem. And in the United States, um, for uh, the reasons for medical visits, this is osteoarthritis is the leading cause of why somebody goes and sees their general practitioner uh, is is this uh, knee pain. So 
uh, very burdensome and is just a real pain, <laughs> literally, uh, for, for many people that, <laughs> that, that just causes such such a problem for many adults. I agree with Dan. If I uh, may just add a couple of words. So we know that in terms of the global burden of non-communicable disease, low back pain is currently ranked the number one burden on society in terms of pain and disability. And as Dan just mentioned, uh, osteoarthritis is ranked 11th. And what is happening is that every time there's an update to that global burden of disease study, osteoarthritis appears to be climbing up the ranks. So if you look at that data over the last 20 years, it's clear that osteoarthritis is climbing up the ranks and approaching uh, the top 10. Now, what does that mean for us? It means two things. Either we haven't uh, diagnosed the disease effectively enough, and I believe um, I'm actually a basic scientist and uh, physical therapy is not my area, but I'm really uh, agreeing with Dan on this top on this issue about um, physical therapists. Physical therapists are actually the number one profession that need to be put in, in the process of uh, osteoarthritis diagnosis in a younger population. You can't leave this to the general practitioner or the orthopedic surgeon or the rheumatologist because what happens is that you go to see your GP and the GP makes the initial uh, clinical diagnosis of OA. And, you know, in most cases, I'd like to reflect on my own case, it's too late. I was diagnosed with OA in my early 40s. Now, if I'd seen a physical therapist, I think that diagnosis would have been made earlier. And I think the advice and the treatment that would have been offered would have been far more effective. So we need to place the physical therapy professional at the forefront of osteoarthritis diagnosis to deal with that global burden, to have a better handle on understanding it and uh, assessing it. The other reason why osteoarthritis is climbing up the ranks is actually because the biologics that are being developed for rheumatic diseases are working pretty well. So I think a lot of my rheumatology colleagues may probably disagree with me now, but I would say that the burden of Diseases such as uh, rheumatoid arthritis is declining because they have effective biological therapies. And so now we need to gr place greater emphasis on osteoarthritis, develop earlier diagnostic uh, approaches, and hopefully get one or two therapeutics to the market. I think that's a really nice perspective to have that real life evidence of your experience in seeing how clinical practice is currently working at the moment. Dan, do you feel that healthcare professionals have the right um, objective tools available to effectively diagnose as early on as Ali indicates that we need this, uh, you know, this diagnosis as early as possible to help um, improve daily active living? Yeah, I think um, diagnosis is, is important. I think that it's important to recognize that uh, American College of Rheumatology the, or ACR criteria for diagnosing osteoarthritis does not uh, require uh, imaging. Uh, there is a clinical and radiographic uh, version, which you can use imaging, but that's not necessary. Uh, you can just do a clinical diagnosis uh, of OA, uh, which is simply based on the symptoms. And uh, yeah, I think that understanding from the patient's perspective that 
you know, this is not something that is going to go away and is uh, understanding that you, uh, it, it's very beneficial to get on board of managing this disease for the long term. The, the earlier you can do that, the better the outcome is uh, ideally for, for, for patients. Uh, so, you know, this so, quote unquote uh, lifestyle disease. So things that, you know, could really modify it are, are weight, your activity, uh, and these require, you know, uh, some pretty big adjustments in, in people's lives. So the earlier you can get people on board and have them um, modify their lifestyles, the better for managing disease. And then I guess along those lines, uh, what happens too a lot, a lot of times is uh, when people, the first symptom they have is knee pain. And a lot of people will modify their lifestyles uh, in a in a way to try to minimize that knee pain. And usually that involves uh, becoming less active and uh, avoiding stairs or things that might irritate the knee. And this can result in, in more weight gain, which ends up being a risk factor for, for even worse OA, uh, because now you've increased the impact force to the knee, and now you have more knee pain, and you're in what's, uh, what we call this uh, sort of vicious cycle. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, the, the earlier you can break this cycle and try to tell people uh, and, and guide them through educating them with, okay, here's the things that are bad for your knee, but, but being active is good and trying to break this cycle uh, is a you know, real positive thing for, for long-term outcome. Absolutely. Yes. So do you feel that um, perhaps individuals are presenting too late to clinical practice, especially to the physical therapist? And um, do we think we need to do something to kind of address it earlier on? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Just uh, yeah, this is it's hard to to go to see the physician. You know, it's it's we're getting better with telehealth and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, it's not like you just here in the states. You know, you have a McDonald's, you can just pull up to the drive-through and go and get your food. It, it's it's not like that. It's it's very difficult, and that's a, this doesn't even touch on access to care issues. Um, so uh, it, it is challenging, you know, to 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 uh, have access to care, but. If if we can make an early diagnosis, uh, I think that just sets expectations and provides an opportunity for better management long term for uh, for sure. Yes, long term management requires uh, multidisciplinary, multimodal approaches, and it requires collaboration between all the disciplines that currently deal with OA: physical therapy, rheumatology, orthopedics, um, general practice. Even the pharmacist, even the community local pharmacist has an important role to play in that multimodal, multidisciplinary management. And, you know, if we think about the um, primary health care centers of the future, the sort of ideal, utopic uh, primary care center, I'd like to see all of these disciplines integrated into one place under one roof where you can get the best uh, medical treatment, early diagnosis, uh, better prognostic monitoring of the disease, and as Dan mentioned, get a real handle on how lifestyle influences osteoarthritis as a serious chronic disease and how it relates to other chronic diseases such as cardiovascular disease, metabolic health, overall metabolic health, and the vicious cycle that Dan alludes to. That is something that 
only a multidisciplinary team can break. And there's also an important role for psychologists in there. And we have also overlooked their, their role because osteoarthritis and pain are also conditions of the mind as well. And so if a person is experiencing pain and there's then reduced physical activity to lighten the load on the knees, as Dan mentions, the opportunity to get less active for weight to increase is increasing as well. So that's what we need to address. So there's going to be uh, a real need for a psychological assessment of uh, osteoarthritis as a serious disease as well. So multidisciplinary, multimodal, and as early as possible. This is a really interesting way of kind of getting um, a whole plethora of disciplines and practices together to uh, address early on the the need for early diagnosis, early intervention, early uh, modification. Um, So really, do we think osteoarthritis, that historical perspective that osteoarthritis was associated to ageing, uh, do, you, do you say that this this um, belief or historical view needs to change? Yeah, if I can just speak a little bit about that. The historical perspective of osteoarthritis was um, a uh, disease of aging and of wear and tear. Uh, so this is a, a normal uh, process of aging that, okay, you get old, you get osteoarthritis. Sorry, uh, there's not much we can do you know, and you just kind of deal with it. Um, and the in the last uh, 25 years, I think there's been a, a real shift in thinking about that, that osteoarthritis is, is while it is associated with aging, uh, it, is a not, it is not a normal process of aging. Uh, and rather, and it's not something you just ignore and deal with, but is something you want to address. Uh, uh, Jillian Hawker uh, at University of Toronto has written uh, extensively about how osteoarthritis is a serious disease. And her big hypothesis of what goes on, and she's shown this in research, uh, that it gives you problems with walking and you become less active and then you develop a cardiovascular disease and then you die. <laughs> so the, sorry for the, the the negative or sort of ominous state here, but uh, trying to uh, break that process uh, and, and keep people active is really, really, really critical. Uh, and helping people to maintain the ability to walk is incredibly uh, critical. So that addressing it in a chronic disease framework, and what I mean by that is not something that you're going to overnight fix. And unfortunately, we don't have any blockbuster drugs at the moment that cure people of the disease, that you need to shift into this more of a long-term management strategy that really heavily involves uh, uh, lifestyle modifications to best manage uh, this disease. Uh, I, I think of, you know, here in the States, uh, diabetes is, is quite common and addressing diabetes with lifestyle modifications is, is just really well known and well accepted. Uh, and I hope osteoarthritis will progress to that same approach where diet and exercise are, are readily accepted uh, as treatments and, and not just fake treatments, but no, but truly effective treatments uh, for the, the disease. Yes. Dan, isn't diabetes, uh, what, again, one of the most common comorbidities for patients with osteoarthritis in the United States, along with cardiovascular disease? 
Yes, about uh, half of the people who have osteoarthritis also have diabetes. Uh, namely, the the risk factor of increased weight or obesity is you know is shared by both diseases. Yes, and this is one of the reasons why some of the companies that are developing um, drugs for diabetes and metabolic diseases are gradually becoming interested in osteoarthritis. And there are several companies that are now looking at osteoarthritis, trying to determine if any of the diabetes medications that they've developed or some of the experimental drugs that they're working on right now could be repositioned for treating osteoarthritis, hopefully looking for a blockbuster uh, disease-modifying drug for osteoarthritis. It's been a very challenging area. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know if there is ever going to be that one drug, the so-called one um, magic bullet that treats OA in the general population because osteoarthritis is so complicated and diverse and there are different, so many different forms of it. But it is entirely feasible to propose that Maybe the different subtypes of osteoarthritis could be treated with different uh, drugs that match the um, molecular endotypes, the so-called um, pathway-targeted osteoarthritis. And that's why, again, some of the drug companies are taking osteoarthritis more seriously now, despite a whole series of uh, drug development failures, the so-called many carcasses on the road from uh, 1990s until now, so many drugs for OA have failed. But if we take osteoarthritis, a complicated, serious disease, and begin to break it down into its subtypes, maybe we we'll have a better chance to, to develop um, better treatments. But I want to go back to Dan's point about physical activity. You cannot expect to have a magic bullet. You cannot expect to take a medication and continue behaving like a couch potato. Engaging with the treatment program in osteoarthritis is going to require uh, a lifestyle modification. It means getting active. It means um, learning to cope with the pain. And I don't think we can tell our patients to wait and expect a miracle coming through from the pharmaceutical industry. It's not going to happen. In the meantime, what we can do is to educate both patients and um, doctors to take a different approach to osteoarthritis diagnosis and its management. And I want to go back to the serious disease topic. And this is something that um, was presented as a concept to the US Food and Drug Administration six years ago. A white paper was submitted to them um, and they accepted osteoarthritis as a serious disease because going back about 10 years and even before that, there were senior members of the FDA making public statements that osteoarthritis isn't a serious disease. And that's where we recognized we need to take action and highlight the fact that that is not true. And I think we're getting there. Um, so the next step is to recognize how we can identify it earlier and better manage it and really think about the, the different patient journeys because not every patient with OA is going to be the same. Thank you. I thank you again for both joining me today for this discussion with EMJ. Um, that con concludes today's discussion.
I want to thank Professor Ali Mobasheri and Dr. Daniel Kenter-White for joining us and sharing their insights around osteoarthritis, redefining the way we consider this chronic condition with our audience. Thank you both. If you enjoyed this episode, this is the first of a three-part series that can be accessed wherever you get your podcasts. These, alongside an informative infographic, can be accessed via emjreviews.com. In the next episode, we will discuss the importance of starting well and living well with the disease in its early to middle stages throughout a multidisciplinary care. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now.